0: castyle 今
1: Go, Go, Hey guys, welcome, welcome to another. Switch On episode of Fanholes Toku Thursdays. Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek, Derek WC, and I'm joined tonight by one of my co-hosts. Why don't you give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight?
2: Hey, this is Dark Destructoid Justin.
1: So, after a, a long hiatus...
2: Two years. It's, it's
1: been a while, <laughs> but, you know... After, after it, a lengthy hiatus...
2: Yeah, I'm sure, like, long-time listeners are like, a blah, like, <laughs> like it's, they've been waiting forever.
1: <laughs> so, me, me and Justin are back on the... Kakita train, we're going to try to record more episodes of this, you know, of course at our leisure, not yours, but but we will try to record more episodes (laughs) of this, and where last we left off, we left off with episode three, and now we're actually on episode four of the live-action Kakita series, and as per usual, I'm going to give my usual preamble, the long-ass Wikipedia title is, The Evil Blue Buffalo Sets a Trap! And the standard episode for title on the DVD is titled Blue Buffalo Fiendish Trap. And the short synopsis written by August Rangone for the DVD states, Yukiko attempts to sneak away from the Destructoids to visit her daughter, but she is thwarted by Blue Buffalo. And that's basically the high-level synopsis of the episode. But I guess getting into the the nitty-gritty of the episode, we open up on a Japanese seaport. And there's this man coming home from his boat, and of course he hears everybody's favorite tune. Professor Gill's devil flute music that makes me makes my head hurt.
2: It affects you in a way it does, Jiro.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. I, I want to I want to rape punch and do all kinds <laughs> of nasty shit when I hear it because I'm like, "Turn that shit off!" But of course, he's wondering like, "Where is that fucking music coming from?" And he is answered quickly soon enough because out of the ocean emerges the blue buffalo. And he comes out and it's funny, there, there's a write-up for the Blue Buffalo as well on Generation Kikida. It It probably sounds like we're trying to pimp him like on a date site or something but here we go it's like blue buffalo powers include swimming explosive spikes from the back called the buffalo missiles a resistance to fire projectiles and electricity a thick skull that can easily withstand 500 tons of force and mouth flame so for all the ladies out there if you think that's for you you can i guess hit him up on match.com or whatever turn-ons include
2: murder and mayhem
1: (laughs) What, what, I mean, I guess, and I'm pretty sure this is correct, because I I kept trying to look just in case I was going to make a mistake, but I believe this is the first all-new original Dark Destructoid that's been on this series, because I, I, from my knowledge, I don't believe he has a manga or anime counterpart, Mm -hmm. so I'm just kind of curious, like, what's what's your take on, on our man, Blue Buffalo, that comes out of the ocean?
2: I like him. What what what's unique about him is his voice modulation. It sounds really weird. It's mm. kind of like It sound, almost like someone's doing you know the like Rrr, kind of but
1: <laughs> yeah yeah yeah
2: it's y- sort of y- electronically y- distorted. It's really unique. I like that.
1: I I described it as an echoey yelp. Like that's kind of what like because he's he's always like yelling, but but it sounds like he's kind of gargling or something like that. Like so. But I, I guess at this point, Blue Buffalo, of course, you know, yelps and, and in, in fury and everything. And he asks this Japanese fisherman which of these yachts belongs to Dr. Kamoji. And of course, he's choking the shit out of this poor fisherman, and the fisherman's like, I don't really know, dude. I'm not sure. You know? And of course, Blue Buffalo infers from the uncertainty that this means that that ship or that yacht must have left the harbor and so the fisherman basically is running away for his life and as we described in his match.com profile blue buffalo removes a spike from the rear of his body and then he kind of hurls it kind of like a boomerang i guess into the fisher's back and then it explodes killing the man and the poor dude is executed blue buffalo style I I think a lot of people like suffer that fate. And of course, this is going back to that idea that as opposed to maybe some series today or maybe some American interpretations of certain series where, you know, everything's fine and people get cried back to life and and all that kind of good stuff. Like this is a case where this poor guy was just minding his business, coming off his boat, having a smoke, and all of a sudden he's dead, you know, And, and it's kind of like heavy... Heavy type shit where you, you know, you watch these old 70s Ultraman or Kikaida or whatever, and you're like, holy shit, they just killed that poor dude, (laughs) you know? So I I always kind of take that pretty seriously. So meanwhile, we've got the Destructoid Drones, and they're dressed up in scuba gear, and they're closing in on said yacht, which Jiro, Mitsuko, and Masaru are on board. And Masaru's kind of sad, because I guess their father usually was the one with them on this yacht, and he's kind of unsure if their father is alive or dead. And, of course, Jiro tells Masaru to continue to believe that Dr. Komoji is among the living, but he also is kind of stern with them as well, where he's like, you know, Big boys, don't cry! You know, because he's like, stop crying, dude, like, don't you know kids you know boys don't cry
2: to me that's kind of like a showa trope where they have this like ongoing notion whether it's kikaita or one of the Ultraman series or uh, early sentai you know of, like men don't cry and like you gotta you know you gotta buck up mister and you know it, you know it doesn't matter if like your mom was disintegrated or your sister was turned into a plate of spaghetti or something like don't cry about it like that that seems to be kind of like in my mind, kind of an ongoing Showa trope, whereas, you know, if something like this were to happen, in, like, a high-stage series, like, if this happened in common Rider, like, you know, the writer would probably, like, you know, pat the kid on the head, and, you know, he'd be like, you know, it, it's okay, like, it's it's okay to cry, like, let it out.
1: Yeah, I, I I don't know, like like, part of me, like, this makes me think of what I've seen of Ultraman Leo so far, and where I'm kind of on the side of Ultra 7, where I'm like, shut up, stop being a whiny bitch, like, you know, stop, like, whining every episode, like, do what you got to do to win, like, stop being a little bitch, you know, and, and I'm kind of like, you know, it, I, I think I'm the type of person who's forgiving of it, like, once or twice, mm-hmm. but if it happens repeatedly, then I get annoyed with it, so I, I think in this case, like, I, I don't think this is, like, a repetitive instance, at least for Misaru right now. So I'm kind of like, you know what? I get it. He 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 kind of is stern with him, but he's also kind of like trying to cheer him up, kind of saying, look, don't, don't give in to despair. I, I think, you know, your father is still alive. Have faith, believe, you know, so I think there's a good message with that. But at the same time, he's also like, but don't get into a rut of just sort of being
2: feeling sorry for yourself yeah, fe- yeah yeah
1: all the time you know and, and i i sort of appreciate that myself i mean i know it's just a small throwaway line and you know you can you can clearly have your own opinions about it you know whether you you kind of side with how you might think heroes respond to that kind of instance in the heisei period or how they would respond to it in the shoah era but i i i guess i'm i'm more of a Showa era at least when it comes to you know don't don't cry. Wipe your tears away. Like that kind of stuff.
2: You you get the happy ending of like you know you're not gonna like fight anymore because you were gonna protect the flower and like I, you're gonna let me win. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: so so. At this point, the destructoid drones begin their assault on the yacht, they're planning explosives all over the place, and they lock Jiro inside the ship with a makeshift prop up against the, the door that leads out onto the top of the yacht. Jiro breaks down the locked door to fight all the dark destructoid agents. But this is kind of funny to me because I, I kind of have the note here that it's it's kind of like a Doctor Who TARDIS thing where you can clearly tell that the actors were filming indoors in a studio and it was in a much larger room that represented the interior of the boat. And when he busts open the door, it's a door that busts open into another white empty hall that's just part of the studio but then the next clip of course is him like jumping out of the door on the yacht and fighting all the dark destructoid agents so I kind of I kind of chuckled at the simplicity and and the I guess you know obviously I think it could have been cut together a little better But that's, that's just how I sort of viewed it. Like the editing was a little, I I don't know, you know, they could have like maybe shot the door from another angle when he went through it. So you couldn't see that there was, that, that the door didn't actually lead to daylight and, and the outdoors, you know? Yeah. 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 But anyway, Jiro is knocking all these destructoid agents into the water, and then the lit fuse is growing closer and closer to the explosives. It's kind of like dynamite, basically. And, of course, Mitsuko and Masaru are horrified. They don't actually go to, like, stop the explosives. They just sit there, you know, frozen in their tracks, screaming, going, "'Oh my gosh, it's so horrible! It's so (laughs) horrible!' When they could, like, maybe, you know, do something, like, I don't know, like, cut the fuse or, or something like that, but whatever." So they're screaming about the fuses, and Jiro eventually fights his way to the explosives. And by the time he gets the explosives, it's kind of funny, because all the drones are like, fuck this shit, he's gonna blow up! And they all, like, dive into the water and run away from him and everything. And at that point, Jiro tells Mitsuku and Masaro to meet him at Hatori Hanpei's detective agency. And then he dives into the water, an explosion goes off, and presumably, Jiro is dead which is kind of odd because he just told them to meet him later. So, but, you know, we, you know, I I guess if you're savvy, you're kind of like, oh, that didn't do anything to Jiro. But to, to the, the destructoid drones, like they, they are celebrating what they think is this great victory. You know, they're like, we totally destroyed Kakaida and we can go back to Professor Gill and report our success. And they're kind of all excited and giving each other high fives and shit. And then they notice, well, wait a minute, what happened to number four? You know, it's like, where's number four? I'm over here. You know, and and of course, number four, right on cue, pops up from behind a rock quarry. And they're like, oh, okay, great, there's number four. And, of course, they go off to report back to Professor Gill. Meanwhile, and, and this might have been confusing in the written intro about yukiko because you're kind of like who the fuck is yukiko you know and of course this is where we're introduced to that character and there's this lady who appears to be kind of like a hostess for a hotel where there's lots of important vip guests that are staying there and she's sort of escorting them like through the hotel and 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 attending to them and everything and then she hears a news report about a child injured and it's a little girl named togawa hikari And, of course, it catches the attention of the hotel hostess. And, obviously, this is her daughter. So, she's very concerned. And, in the meantime, the guests are asked to be taken to a testing site. And, it turns out the testing site is a dark weapons testing site that is showing off the military applications of the android Blue Buffalo. I I, I wonder if, like, that whole yodel that he does is part of the package where they're like that was the <laughs> the selling point that that drove all these these fictional made up of stand countries over the top where they're like yes yes i must bid more he has that weird gurgle yodel that sounds strange i must buy him i must have him for my own collection you know because that's it, it, it kind of cracked me up because there are all these these different countries there that are bidding on Dark's latest, you know, technology basically and they're and they're and they're selling Blue Buffalo, which is interesting. I don't know if if basically they've been informed that Qaeda has been destroyed and they're just like, "Okay, great. We don't need this guy anymore. We can sell him off to the highest bidder." But they do show off like all the The feats and impressive stuff that we mentioned in his Match.com profile here, where you can see he's Blue Buffalo is standing up to flamethrowers and machine guns, and they electrocute him with a thousand volts, and of course the the big giant sequence is where they throw a 500 ton wrecking ball into them. So, you you know, basically all these buyers, you know, these potential buyers seem really, really pleased and impressed and they're ready to start the bidding.
2: What I thought was interesting is some of these businessmen have a little mask on and the other ones are, they're just like, ah, screw it. I'm not wearing this little mask.
1: Yeah. It's like, it's like they're, they all are potential clients of Ashley Madison or something as well. And they don't want their... (laughs) their wives or something to find out that they secretly are buying blue buffalo for you know sexual purposes or whatever (laughs) i don't know what but yeah they're they're they're, some of them are disguised and some of them are like fuck this shit i'm i'm like john stewart i'm gonna go au natural and (laughs) you know the, the masks are for you know jive crackers or whatever and and they're not into that but Anyway, they, they they are all bidding on this android. And there's all these, like, random country names. So, like like we were saying, it's all made-up, kind of fictional nations. And apparently, Wasar, wherever the hell that is, is the foreign power with the winning bid of 500,000 yen. And basically, at that point, we cut back to Professor Gill. And, and it kind of sounds like he wants all these countries that are bidding against one another to sort of like keep up with the joneses because i think his attitude is well if if one country has an android warrior then all the countries will want to bid on an android warrior and have one of their own this is all part of dark's master plan and he's he seems pretty enthused and excited and everything about that and apparently the guide yukiko to that we saw before like she's escaped in the meantime and they inform professor gill about that and he seems pretty upset and he wants all the dark agents to head after her so you i mean this is the first instance you get because i I thought it was a little confusing at least in terms of what her role was at first like and and it seems like she's even though she looks like she's dressed pretty nicely and and she hasn't really been harmed you do get the vibe she's sort of been forced to be a hostess against her will. Like, that's kind of the interpretation I took. But did you did you see anything differently, or, or did you have any similar kind of questions about, you know, why she was working for them one moment, and then when she runs off, they want to hunt her down?
2: Yeah, it, it wasn't very clear. And then I was like, in my head, I was like, well, why did they need this hostess to, like, just bring these businessmen to this rock quarry for this? Like, couldn't they have got, like, you know, some, like, dark destructoid, you know henchman to do it or like why did they need like this girl was she just like you know dark eye candy or something
1: what's interesting too is even if she was dark eye candy and you know she's a nice looking lady and everything like i get that aspect Mm -hmm. to it but like don't you think there'd be like slightly less uh, i guess i don't know what the right word is but more morally loose eye candy women for dark to have in their organization i mean i know later we see the destructoids that have like the the pink jumpsuits and they're females and everything. And it's like, you'd think like, oh, well, you know, if, if it's dark and they need eye candy, like couldn't they have just constructed like some kind of pleasure bot Android that would like look just like that lady and, and, you know, lead these, you know, nefarious Ashley Madison made up a stand businessman guys from the hotel to like a testing site. Like it, it just seemed kind of, convoluted that you know that it's like oh wait we must capture you and we're gonna make you do this and then if you run away because your kid was in an accident like we're gonna hunt you down because you know too much and it's like well whose fault is that like you you guys abducted her i guess and let her in on the i mean it's like what she was just gonna like like what you're saying she was just gonna like guide them to the testing site and then once they were done what were they gonna do like kill her like it's like well that's i don't know that just seemed kind of like we're nefarious because of reasons because
2: we're evil <laughs> yeah
1: yeah yeah it's because we're nasty and evil but so so dark is heading after this poor lady meanwhile we see Hatori Hanpei, who of course is thinking that people are out to kill him and then he ends up getting a flat tire And then he uses his special skills of his ancestors, which he calls Ninja Inflation Magic. (laughs) And that, of course, pumps up the bad tire. And apparently, that involves like blowing on your cane, and somehow the tire magically expands. But what it actually is is just they play the footage of the tire. Losing air in reverse. I I don't know. I I don't think that really plays into anything later in the series. Like not really. It's just kind of another random sort of semi comedic moment with the actor. And that I guess you know. I, I don't know. It's it's like they they gave him some hijinks with a flat tire, and then they needed him to continue to drive his car around for the scene with Blue Buffalo. So they they had him you know fix the tire. I guess I guess it's it's easier than him like. Or maybe it's less boring than him just like changing out the tire for a spare or something like that. Like, I could imagine that being in the original script, and then somebody just kind of saying, Hey, why don't we have them use ninja inflation magic? And everybody's like, What's ninja inflation magic? It'll be great, Larry. The kids, they love it. You know, like, it'll be awesome. So it turns out that there is someone in the back seat of Vittori Hanpei's automobile. And of course, it turns out to be the eye candy herself, because hattori's like all scared first but then he sees it's this pretty lady it's yukiko and she has hitchhiked a ride in the back seat of his car and then all of a sudden like hattori's car is moving and they don't really understand why you know they they didn't start the car and they realize it's blue buffalo and he's dragging them down the road and everything and Hatori is screaming for help and yuki goes like fuck this shit i'm getting out of this car and she starts running away and the dark destructoids begin to chase her and then it, this i thought was interesting because they chase her through some kind of park and there's a sign but obviously i can't read japanese so i don't know exactly what kind of park it is yeah. but i imagine it's supposed to be some kind of like egyptian like replication or something because they had all these kind of like stone pyramids and a a stone griffin and everything but i i didn't know exactly what it was
2: it it was kind of odd i was like they were running through one building i was like okay this is the pyramid full of cacti like this is kind of this is an odd place like what's like i i I wish i wish someone had had the knowledge they could be like oh this is like you know so and so like uh, botanical gardens and blah 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 i'll be like okay but we are totally clueless as to what this place actually is.
1: Yeah, it just seemed like it was visually interesting for the the you know the television guys to to go out there and shoot. It was a it was a uh, speaking of eye candy, you know, it was it was nice eye candy to have all these weird cacti in the background as she's running away from the destructoids. So it was it was some nice scenery, and fortunately, Blue Buffalo finally catches up to Yukiko. And she is facing off against him, and basically Blue Buffalo is saying the dark catchphrase, which is, you know, once you join dark, you can never leave dark. And it kind of reminds me of, like, I guess what what happens at dark, you know, stays at dark. But again, <laughs> that, that leads back to the whole thing of, well, why did you sort of recruit her if she wasn't already morally dubious you know it's like it's kind of like i've got this great idea there's this really pretty girl and she has these high upstanding morals and she totally report us to the police but she's really pretty and it's kind of like well what okay so when the dark goons have grabbed her and blue buffalo is closing in and we think she is done for We hear the candy red guitar of Justice playing in the background. So you know what that means. It's time for Kikaida to show up. And remember that number four henchman that we said had gone missing and conveniently came up from behind the rock quarry? Well, he's the one who comes out and starts fighting off all these other dark agents. And you're kind of like, what's going on? And it turns out that it is kikaida champion of justice in disguise so he was in disguise the whole time he followed them back to the base that was his plan all along and kikaida fights all these dark goons and hatari hanpei gets yukiko out of the area so she can't get hurt And Kakaida gets on his sidecar and flies past Blue Buffalo once they're all clear. And Blue Buffalo, of course, is angry. He's doing his gurgle yell and everything and says, you know, you won't get away with this, Kakaida. And he's all upset and pissed off and everything. And at that point, we cut to a commercial.
0: This is Tokyo, once a city of six million people.
1: And we come back, and we've got a nervous Yukiko who's pacing back and forth in Hatari Hanpei's office. She's super worried for her daughter, but Hatari Hanpei is basically kind of assuring her, look, jiro has got this, like, Kaida is going to protect us and we'll be fine, and your daughter will be fine and everything. But, of course, Blue Buffalo, we hear his voice in the background, and he says, you better worry about yourself cuz then all of a sudden his horn is like busting through the office walls and like the you know obviously it's it's not it's not high level special effects but it was well done i mean they had a red light on the wall and then the wall you could tell was kind of like papier mache or something and it was it was slowly deteriorating and it kind of looked like you know maybe a an alien from you know the alien series was was Bleeding on the wall because it, it slowly deteriorated this hole, and all of a sudden, Blue Buffalo kind of crashes through the wall. And of course, Hitari Hanpei is not the most brave individual, so of course, he's screaming and everything, and you know, backing away and stuff like that. And Blue Buffalo basically explains. The way he tracked them down was that this lady Yukiko, unbeknownst to her, has a dark homing signal that was planted on her. So they were able to follow her to Hattori Hanpei's detective agency. And, of course, Hattori Hanpei's like, who's going to pay for all this damage (laughs) and everything? He's, He's, of course, not so worried about human life as he is about his office and his landlord complaining about all the damage. And Hattori Hanpei wants to get Jiro involved, but of course he is blocked by Blue Buffalo's fire breath, and at this point he's kind of like begging for his life, and Yukiko is begging to see her daughter, and Blue Buffalo basically confirms, we have your daughter, and at that point we cut to the daughter in a car with some suited thugs. And at that point when she starts questioning them and says, like, where's my mom and everything? They all morph in a jump cut into dark destructoid drones who are all, you know, doing the typical, you know, dark 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 dark. <laughs> you know, like that that's their seems to be their catchphrase where they, they seem to repeat dark over and over again, I guess, is 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 what their what their deal is and stuff. And again at that point we hear the candy red guitar of justice playing in the background and the dark destructoid drones exit the car and see Jiro who fights all of them while saving the kidnapped little girl and there's all this kind of cool swanky 70 music going on in the background and everything and then th- this part, I-, I guess I'd ask you what you think about this because I'm-, I'm curious what your take on it is. It-, it seems to be something that occurs and then it's quickly glossed over, I guess, just because of, I guess, the nature of Hatori Hanpei, but, you know, they, they come back to the detective agency, and Hattori's story is that the mother felt unsafe, supposedly, and she left Hattori Hanpei's detective agency, but he, of course, pulls out a stack of yen after Jiro Kakaida leaves, and he basically is counting all his his money and everything, and it seems like he sold out. Kikaida, basically, and this lady, you know, for a stack of yen and everything, but then at that point, like, Masaru is, you know, keen to kind of his shenanigans and everything, and he actually literally fishes the stack of yen away from him with, like, a fishing rod and everything, and he's sort of running after him with the, the you know, because he got the stack of yen and everything. And, of course, Masaru and Misuko want to know, like, what exactly Dark bought him off with and what, what they told him to do. But, you know, and, and, of course, he confesses, like, I've I've sold out Jiro because I, I love the money and everything. But I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, what your take on that, that moment is.
2: I, I was surprised. I was like, wow, he... He's actually, you know, he's kind of shady. Like he, he let his his greed and his fear for his life, I guess, like get the better of him, I and mean, he sold out Jiro. But, but like you said, it's kind of, it's kind of quickly glossed over. And, you know, I wish they could have spent, you know, just a few minutes, maybe at the end of the episode or something, where they kind of like, you know, discuss it a little bit, or like he. You know, he's like he gets cowardly and he begs Jill for for forgiveness, or maybe, or maybe Gerald is like, you know, like, oh, that was my plan the whole time, like, like you were in on it, or you know, or he, you know, he's gonna be like, oh, I knew you would do that, so like, right, I right. you or something like.
1: I I was I was counting on your cowardly nature to yeah help me out or something like that. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's kind of the the drawbacks to the episodes being as formulaic as they are at times because mm-hmm. you don't you don't get as much of a chance to live with some of the decisions the characters make because it is kind of fast-paced and and more focused on, you know, the action and everything because, you know, at this point basically You know, Jiro's taking home the little girl in his sidecar, and then when they head back to her apartment home, they get stuck in this elevator, which apparently is a Professor Gill-designed elevator that handles Android disposal, and Jiro, at that point, is going to do the 3-2-1 change and bust out of the elevator, but of course, everybody's favorite devil flute is now back, (laughs) playing that annoying fucking music, that would drive anyone insane, not just Kikaida, and he cannot change, and see, this, it took me a couple views, I mean, I've seen this episode a number of times, but, I mean, a lot of the action takes place so quickly, you kind of miss it, because at at some point, you know, somehow he bypasses the devil flute, and ends up doing the 3-2-1 change, and my take on it was, I think the idea is, you know, Hatori, Hanpei, Mitsuko, and Masaru follow them to the apartment complex once he, you know, admits that that he sold out Jiro, you know, to try and warn him. And they end up, like, I don't know, like, they don't really crash the car, but, like, somehow the horn goes off and it gets stuck. And so the horn is basically blaring in the apartment complex parking lot. And I think what, what you were supposed to take away from was the, the horn's blaring is so loud... Then it mm. kind of drowns out the devil flute. Like that's that's what I got out of it. But but I I I it took me a number of views before I came to that conclusion. And I I think most people would watch it and kind of go, I don't get why he can all. I mean, a lot of the times it 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 becomes hard to discern. Like it's like you know the devil flute stops him from changing, but you don't always really understand what triggers the eventual change. It's almost like okay, this doesn't work for a minute, okay, now it works, you know, and, and you you get kind of confused about it.
2: Yeah, I've watched this episode twice, and I, you know, I that totally went by me. What I was focused on was, like, the weird spiky thing in the ceiling of the elevator. I was like, this thing seems kind of flimsy. Like, I don't think it could hurt Kikaida. Like, it could kill that little kid, sure, but, like... I don't think it would do much damage to him. So I was like, how is was this a terrible trap?"
1: I wonder. I wonder if it makes any difference that he was stuck in Jiro mode, mm. like if he that he's not switched on. Like, is it is it easier to dispatch him when he's not switched on? Like, Maybe. and if that's the case, like, shouldn't they try to attack him more when he's yeah. Jiro than than Kakita? I guess. I, I yeah, I'm not really sure about that.
2: Well when he dove into the ocean with those bombs like he wasn't yeah and so. yeah that's
1: true that's but, true that's very true Aha uh-huh. yeah i don't know i don't know it's like because tokusatsu like, that's, <laughs> yeah yeah it's basically the answer
2: because ninja magic and <laughs>
1: place things. don't question it i i think the one of my favorite scenes is about to come up here. Is you know, Kakita basically at that point once he switches on and is the android Kakita, he easily breaks free of the elevator trap. I mean, I, I think that's part of your disbelief with it because even after he changes, it's just kind of like, why was this such a big deal? And he kind of rips <laughs> away the 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 big you know spinny, you know, thing that was going to kill him and everything the the death trap and then him and the little girl just bust out of the elevator. And at that point, you know, the the mother Yukiko is is being held hostage by Blue Buffalo. So he's going to head after the girl's mother. And this is what's awesome is for me, I, I love this shit, but they are on the top of the apartment building and basically Kakita literally runs straight up the fucking wall <laughs> because all it is is like one of these, you know, mat shots where he's just, you know, I, I mean, obviously the, the suit actor is just running, you know. Uh, across you know a uh, uh, green screen or something like that but the way they mat it it's like he runs straight up the fucking building and i'm just like that's fucking awesome i love <laughs> shit like that it's like this doesn't make any sense fuck you physics this is great i'm kakaida you know like i love that kind of stuff and at that point you know blue buffalo and the dark destructoids are standing in kakaida's way and there's a big fight and everything and buffalo is doing his signature choke move which Kikaita escapes and then he jumps on his sidecar and in this sequence i thought it was kind of fun too because kikaida is basically kind of like swatting and running over all these dark destructoid drones and it kind of reminded me of like when when prime like shows up in transformers the movie and he starts running over all the decepticon seekers and stuff like that mm. it's like you know get the fuck out of my way and you see all those destructoids like oh my god and they're just like running you know from the <laughs> and what's funny is you know my 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 take on the behind the scenes is like those guys probably were running for their fucking lives because like, <laughs> yeah. the, the, you know, a, a lot of the way these stunts are done, you're just like sitting these poor guys in the little gray jumpsuits and they get like tossed off like a bunch of, you know, hilly, rocky quarries and, and you're like, there's no there's no like airbags down there. They just like fall on rocks and stuff. And you're like, that must fucking hurt. So I'm like, I could imagine like if there was some take that went wrong, you know, it's probably like one of those things where, you know, Oh my God, this, this car is going to really run me over if I don't run for my fucking life, you know? So at that point, when Once he gets all the destructoid drones out of the way, Kikaida basically slams straight into Blue Buffalo. But it's interesting because you'd think he would, you know, run him over. But I guess Blue Buffalo's strength is so strong, it's, it's basically like a, a push-off between the two characters. And, in fact, Blue Buffalo actually, like, throws the sidecar away into the sky and everything but i guess the sidecar can also be airborne and uh, kakaida does some kind of loop-de-loop and he lands just fine and then at that point blue buffalo implements his buffalo missiles and all the missiles end up missing the sidecar and kakaida does his finisher which is going to be the double chop giant swing and finally he does the end and of course blue buffalo cannot face the end and he plummets off the top of the hill and he turns into a (laughs) billion of pieces and you know it's like a a watch you know getting broken or something (laughs) there's all these cogs and shit and all that crap is at the bottom of the hill and of course it's 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 a happy ending the mother (laughs) and daughter are reunited and while it's nice It's a little bittersweet for Masaru, who obviously must be thinking of his dad, but he's not crying, so I guess that stern talking to worked. He just kind of has a sad look on his face, and then him and Mitsuko kind of commiserate, but they kind of smile because they know they're both, you know, they both have feelings for their father and everything like that. And of course, at the end, Jiro leaves them behind, riding off on his own on the sidecar, continuing his quote-unquote endless quest. So that is the end of Android Kikaida Episode 4. And, of course, we get the next time blurb that says the crazy, dark, destructoid monster we're going to see next is Yellow Jagger! So that's what's coming up next. But do you do you want to go into or talk about any final thoughts you have on Kikaida Episode 4?
2: Just, you know, what we discussed earlier about Hitori Hanpei, like, I thought that was kind of a interesting turn for him i didn't expect him to like full-on like you know totally sell out jiro so i was like oh well like that's that's interesting so you know whereas you've seen the whole series like i have not so i'm kind of wondering like is this something that's going to continue like throughout the series is it going to be addressed is it a one-off thing and it'll never happen again like i mean i'm not crazy about the character like i know you kind of like have some affection for him but i'm kind of like now i'm kind of interested i'm like hmm like you know, like you know, what's your deal, Mister? Like, what are you gonna do? I,
1: I don't want to spoil things, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't get your hopes up too much about anything going in depth. I mean, right. this is, I, I think this is about as deep as the show really goes. There, there are other similar moments. I mean, obviously, Hattori Hanpei is played for last, mostly, and right. even even when it's something that I think you'd consider distasteful in everyday life, but you sort of just go, you know, it's like, oh, that Hattori, you know, like, <laughs> oh, boy, you know, like, but but the, I, I don't think he's, he's really held accountable, you know, it, it's right. just kind of like, you know, one of those things where they sort of pass it off as the, The strain of of the interaction between, you know, that that he's he's sort of a victim of circumstance rather than, you know, but but I think I think, you know, again, without spoiling too much, like there, there will be moments that he has that are not all bad. Do you know what I mean? Like, so I think I think that's part of where it comes from. It's like he may do some slimy things here and there. But, you know, I, you know, maybe kind of like a, a character like Rat Trap in Beast Wars, where there are some things he does where you're like, oh, I don't know if I'm on board with that. And then there are some things where he has some really, really good moments and, and comes through for everybody. So I, I don't think it's all one-sided, but I, I don't think it's very it, – it's not going to be as three-dimensional as you would expect from a modern television series. Alright, well, I mean, you know, for for myself, I mean, obviously, I, I enjoy the series, I enjoy the episode, I, I had a good time watching it. As far as Blue Buffalo being the, the first all-new Dark Destructoid, like, I, I think he has a cool look, I guess I find him aesthetically pleasing, like, I kind of like his colors, like the blue on silver, I think that's a cool color scheme and everything, and, you know, he was obviously an imposing foe and everything like that, so I, I think that worked. And I was, you know, I I think uh, Yukiko was a a pretty lady and everything. So that was that was cool following her around. And, and, you know, it was nice and fulfilling to see her and her her kid get saved and all that kind of good stuff. And, you know, so I, I enjoyed it. So I think that kinda wraps things up for this episode of Toku Thursdays. We know you've been waiting forever's for a new <laughs> Kakata episode. So so we hope you're you're pleased that this is once again, you know, sort of the show is off hiatus. It's it's in production. And, of course, if you have any comments, questions, and or concerns, you can send them to fanholspodcast at gmail.com. We, of course, are on the fanholspodcast.blogspot.com. And not only do we do shows like Toku Thursdays, but we have a bunch of spin-off shows from the Fanholes podcast proper, which are Transformers Tuesdays, Sentai Saturdays, and Mobile Suit Mondays. So if you like this show and you think you might like any of the others, please check all those out. We are on Tumblr, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we are on Stitcher Radio, we are on iTunes. So we appreciate all the likes and feedbacks. Uh if you have any reviews that you'd like to leave for iTunes, we would appreciate that. And until the next time. This is going to be Derek, Derek WC, and I guess now I'm switching off. So see you guys later.
2: This is Buffalo. <laughs>
1: Awesome. All right, guys, take it easy.
0: Three of us in the room. Well, if uh, I can always leave, like until you guys are done or whatever.
1: No, it looks like it started a file. I mean, I can I can excise you from the call if you just wanna. But I mean, it's up to you if you just wanna mute. No, I'll out. listen in. Yeah, I'll okay. I'll just mute myself and listen in. So
0: okay. Also, cause I'm very paranoid that you people talk about me behind my back. Nice, nice. <laughs> yeah. that
1: that's actually what we do for the first half hour, and then we record the show.
2: And we're like, <laughs> it's time to tr- is so lame.
1: <laughs> it's time to trash our annual trash mic. <laughs> yeah,
0: session. <laughs> Oh, I, I, I'm about halfway through that episode you edited, Justin. Good job.
2: Oh, thanks.
0: I, and I, I, I see, like, I, I like what you guys said. Like, when I said, that, that sword looks like it's from Minecraft, and you guys, yeah, like, kind of addressed that in the episode. So. Yeah,
1: yeah. <clears throat> so I kind of cheaped out on the intro, but I just did, like, a, you know, uh, like, X-Files promo type intro or something.
0: That's fine.
1: And then I just, you know, I don't know. I spliced in some molder and whatever. Oh, I was trying to mimic the promo, but I couldn't find the exact music that was playing behind it, so I just sort of fudged it and grabbed some some other X-Files music. Yeah. And I was like, this is good enough.
0: Yeah, sometimes, like, you know, sometimes I have really good ideas, and then sometimes I'm like, okay, let's just do something like fast
1: and on the cheap or, you know. Yeah, yeah, well, especially because I'm not, like, super enthusiastic about this, you know. Yeah, I guess So get I was you. like, I wasn't going to, you know, waste any time, like, uh, you know, I, I wasn't going to lose any sleep over, like, that perfect extra house, yeah. you know. Like, well,
0: it, well, it's like sometimes when you get, like, the good idea, like, you put, like, like, that Darth Vader one I did, I was like, oh, yeah, now I got to, like, get all these background noises and, like, all the, you know, the breathing yeah, and the lights yeah. and, like, and sometimes you get really into it.
1: And then sometimes
0: it's like, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, Tony, you do Batroc the Leaper, and I'll be Cap, and we'll just do something really yeah, quick, yeah, you know? Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, totally,
2: totally. Oh, um, I was at Barnes & Noble today, and I picked up, uh, the Amazing Red Warrior Gundam model kit.
0: Oh, cool. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Meijin Kawaguchi's, uh. What do you call it? thingamajig jig in that yeah. show that
1: just uh, that uh that Derek hasn't watched yet? <laughs> oh, is that in Build Fighters Try? Yeah. yeah. Okay.
2: It was either that or um, ah, oh, what is it? That samurai stray suit from Build Fighters, the the oh, early yeah. genius, that guy's suit. I was like, mm, I'm gonna go with the Red Warrior. Like he looks.
0: <laughs> you didn't go with Samurai Bat Ninja Batman guy? <laughs> no. <laughs> with dreadlocks who gets kind of emasculated in that second season but whatever
1: what is he like steve trevor
0: Uh, he kind of like he only shows up for one episode but he's married to what's-her-face that rich girl and like he he has her last name basically so wow
1: (laughs) Okay, so I'm I just so I'm not gonna interrupt if you still wanna bullshit, but I am uh, recording a file and I'm I'm all set whenever Justin is. Okay, I will mute and I'll just BS around with myself, basically. All right.
0: Well, all right. Sexy Woo.
2: <laughs> <laughs> The okay. hummingbird has flown.
0: It's a hummingbird. Hummingbird Gzu,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Kikaido <laughs> All right, for, now, now I've got this vision of like the hummingbird dark destructoid that's like gonna go after Android Kakaida. <laughs> All right, cool. Good job, guys. Thank you.